Hello, I'm Oud Gallifrey. I'm Sage Murray. And I'm Leon Felger. And we are the Occulte Veritatis Podcast. We talk about anything that intrigues, horrifies, or interests us, including true crime. Serial killers. Military conspiracies. <laughs> and other mysteries and horrors of reality. So get cozy with your favorite alcoholic beverage. Oh, Smoke a joint or two. Only if it's legally purchased medicinal marijuana, of course. And tune in. We would love to have you. You would. You can find all of our links, all of the ways you can subscribe, and the rest of our bullshit at www.ovpod.ca. We hope you listen in soon. An Eye for an Eye podcast contains subject matters that many may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. everybody welcome back to an eye for an eye podcast i'm your host lisa and matt will be here in a bit with us he had some business to take care of so i wanted to just kick it off with some highlights and lowlights all of the above we have a great show planned for you today and we're so excited because we have a special guest coming on which you'll meet in a minute so just wanted to go over a few of the bits of nitty-gritty real quick. We had some feedback on our latest episode on Ted Bundy that we wanted to address really quickly. Um, I I know that most of you get this, um, so I, f- I feel bad explaining it, but just for those who don't, because we never mean to offend or make fun of someone, um, and we got a comment that it seemed as if we were inappropriately laughing, um, not only at Bundy's crimes, but at a stepdad's job. Um, we were just more poking fun at the last name. We just thought it sounded funny the way Karis said it. Not that Culpepper is a horrible last name or anything. We absolutely were not laughing at the murders or trying to make light of them. The whole thing with the laughing, which I do explain in the episode, is more about this podcast covers some really, really dark materials. And because it's so dark, we have to find some light sometimes in the episodes to get through it. Um, even a episode that we have coming out soon it's it would probably be out by the time this airs but you can tell it's just such dark subject matter sometimes i have to walk away from it and you know my favorite podcasts are my favorite murder court junkie true crime garage a lot of other really great podcasts out there but those are what inspired me to get started on my own podcast and they do have a bit of comedy and and it does you know some people don't like that and that's absolutely fine but there is going to be a touch of that here it's matt and i were best friends we talk like we're best friends and unfortunately sometimes that does get misconstrued so we wanted to bring that up and say you know we're really sorry if we offended anybody at all Um, well we know we offended one person so we want to deeply apologize but to also let you know we didn't mean any harm by it um this is a podcast that's going to have a bit of humor in it it's just the way my personality is it's the way matt's personality is we have nothing against chefs for um churches we have nothing against chefs for really any profession i would love to be a chef if i could cook we were just poking fun because the last name was fun to say really it's harmless it's it's what it is but it does seem like it offended some people and we wanted to clear that up next sort of a business we do have our merchandise shop up and live if you haven't checked it out yet we'd love for you to do so ifrypod.threadless.com all this information will be in the show notes and we also launched our patreon page with as little as a dollar a month you could really really help our podcast out support us help us be better grow better get better equipment maybe hire someone to help me edit these in the future because i do do all of that on my own at the moment and i'm still learning and growing as i'll say a million times 
before instead of a million times going forward. Um, but yeah, so so those are some things to check out. Both of those links will be in our show notes. Um, this case is, you know, a, a warning. This case is, you know, graphic. We're talking about murder on this show. So that shouldn't come to a surprise. But just to make sure that everybody's on the same page moving forward. So please give us the feedback. We really do appreciate the feedback, good and bad. We want to hear it because that's the only way we can improve and apologize and make sure we're being cognizant of the things that people could take offense to or see in a way that we didn't intend moving forward. So that is that. And today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Now Audible is an amazing, amazing site um, and app where you can get audiobooks read to you. So those who are like me and don't really like carrying around a physical book or are always on the go and can't bring a book with them, this is where you can get an audiobook, have it read to you sometimes by the author or the person who wrote the book. It's so exciting. So you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash ifrypod. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Check them out, guys. You won't be sorry. Okay, so today's case is super exciting. Um, we have a special guest today. One more time, how do you pronounce your name? <laughs> Rayana. Rayana, got it. Ray is easier. So okay. Ray Ray. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Sorry about that. I just don't, I butcher names like it's my damn job on this podcast. I butcher okay. words like I can't speak. Okay, so we have a special guest today we'd like to introduce to everybody. We have Ray on the show today. So, Ray, say hi to everybody. Hey, everyone. What's up? So, we're super, 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 super excited because she's really the first person that, that we don't personally know that's been on the podcast. So, that's super, super exciting to us. I keep saying that. Matt, any input there? Obviously. I'm as excited <laughs> as you are. Take away some of those supers. But, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Ray, we're so happy to have you. Yeah, we hope you're going to you. have as much good perspective on this podcast, which yeah. it seems like you will, Yeah. when you first replied to us, which was so great, so helpful to us. Yes. So we said, we got to talk to her. We got to see what her perspective is. So. And that's the whole point of our podcast, which is why I'm so excited, is like, literally, this is the first person that Matt and I have not ever personally met, who is now on our show, Woo. and now becoming a good friend, and hopefully we'll have you back even more than this. Sounds good to me. All right, so Matt, let's I'm get in. What did you say, sorry? Oh, I said, yeah, I'm excited. Yay. Wow. And she's got some cool things coming out in the future as well, so keep a listen out for that because Matt and I will definitely be shouting that out on our show when that all happens, so keep an ear out. We'll plug you. Was it suicide, an accidental overdose, or ruthless murder that took the life of a Las Vegas casino boss. It has been six years since the death of casino exec Ted Binion. So let's get into today's case. So Matt, take away Absolutely. So we're just going to dive right in. Ted Binion was born in Dallas in 1943. He had an older brother named Jack and three sisters, Becky, Brenda, and Barbara. You think they like B names? Not very diverse. It's like the Cardinals. It's like the Kardashians. Yeah, they went for it there, Mr. Binion and Mrs. Binion. <laughs> Binion moved to Las Vegas with his father in 1946. 
He was involved early on in his father's casino, the Horseshoe, which is a very famous casino in Las Vegas. Very well. And if I'm not mistaken, I think maybe my, I think it was my uncle, um, either worked there or had something to do with the stock market there. Wait, that's so cool! Really? Yeah, I think so. Oh, that's so cool. That's that's you have so many like little bits of connections to this case. Are you from this area? Yeah, I live in Las Vegas. Oh, I'm so jealous. Matt and I one day are going to come visit, <laughs> make it a vacation. Yes. Hit, hit the strip with you. <laughs> yeah, I was born and raised here, so. Uh, so, do you, so real quick before we get into the case, because I'm interested. Is it, to you, is it just like normal or is it still like wild and crazy out there? It's kind of just normalized to me. I mean, I'll still see things and I'm just like, um, are you serious? But <laughs> it's like, oh, it's Vegas, so it's... That's it's so weird. funny. You're used to the weirdness. Because, like, if we saw it here, we'd be like, um, what's happening? Because <laughs> we live in Pittsburgh, so it's not... We see some stuff, but nothing like Vegas, that's for sure. It ain't Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> Vegas. All right. Sorry, I just needed to know, because I'm always so curious, like, what other people's like, perceptions of their hometown is, especially when it's, like, Vegas or New Orleans or somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Right. So, in 1964, Benny Binion, who was, what, who's Ted's dad or? Yeah. yeah. His yeah. dad, okay. Benny Binion gained full control of the horseshoe after previously selling his interest to cover his legal costs defending him from tax evasion and some other criminal charges that he was facing. However, since he was a convicted criminal, Benny was no longer allowed to hold a gaming license in the state of Nevada. So, his sons Jack and Ted at the time were only 23 and 21 respectively, but they took over the day-to-day operations of the casino. While Benny remained on the payroll as a quote-unquote consultant. Jack became president of the Horseshoe while Ted became casino manager. What's casino? Is casino manager like the house boss or whatever the hell it's called? Basically run the day-to-day operations of what goes on in the casino. You ever see the movie with, uh, with no, Sam, I don't know. Sam Rothenstein with De Niro I, and Al Pacino? And, not Al yeah, Pacino, I think back in this time was when the mob was very heavily influenced into the casino world. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's weird. I didn't know that that was a thing either. I'm oh, yeah. learning. The mob built Las Vegas as to what it is now. Yeah, man. And a bunch of corporations. Do they still there. have, like, do you think? No. <laughs> no. A bunch of foreign corporations, I think, it's not. But. Matt just looked at me like, are you serious? No. It said that the lake here, because it's a man-made lake like me that was made after they built Hoover Dam, is where all the bodies are that the mob just kind of, you know, out there. Oh, jeez. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. That's like the scary thing about the mom. It's like killing people left and right. Nobody knows. They're out there. Yeah. <laughs> They're out there, Matt. All right. Sorry, I keep chiming in, but I'm so interested. No. It's a good, that's, honestly, it's a good point. Good thing to point out that at this point, the mafia was heavily involved in what Vegas was. The operations of Vegas were basically run by New York. I think, honestly, we could all say that. Would you say so, Ray? Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. Okay. So, for 30 years, Ted, who was 
casino manager, became the face of what was going on day to day during the peak hours of the casino operation, obviously during the evening, and he became well known as the host of the Horseshoe's famous poker tournaments. So, he loved, because of his lifestyle, living that high life, partying, schmoozing, absolutely just probably living it up as the, the casino manager. Yeah. Especially in those <laughs> times. You know, yeah, think about what it must have been like. Living that high life. Literally. Right. <laughs> Literally. Back in the 80s, yeah. <laughs> He's probably schmoozed up on everything. From women to that yayo. <laughs> okay, sorry. You said it. We were all thinking it. Thank you for pointing it out. Well, he was actually arrested in 1986 on drug trafficking charges and began drawing attention for his connection to the organized crime figure, Fat Herbie Blitzstein. wonder if he was a fellow dude like me. Blitzstein. Well, he certainly doesn't sound like a nice Irish kid. I'll just say that. <laughs> but I'm not judging. You never know. No, you never know. Maybe his mother's name was Molly O'Reardon. <laughs> Molly O'Reardon. I don't know. From that point on, Binion was in hot water with the Nevada Gaming Commission, though, obviously. It's pretty interesting, though, even then, that they had such a hold. You know what I mean? Because it kind of feels like in the gaming world, they're... I mean, nowadays, it's a lot different. But I feel like back then, it was weird that they had such a hold. Like, the Gaming Commission had such a... They got to make their money. States got to make their money off of legalized gambling. They I guess that's true. Yeah, everything is just so heavily taxed. I mean, we don't have property tax here. Mm -hmm. um, and our cost of living is pretty affordable compared to, like, other places that are nearby, like Arizona and California. Looks like that's where I'm going to move, Matt. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be dead, but I'll... Let me know. Yeah, I'll hitch up the U-Haul right next to you. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I could deal with the 100-degree weather every day. Is it summer. that bad there? It's awful. In the summer, it gets up to be, they say, only like 116. It's really like over 120. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. I'd fry like a pancake on the sidewalk. I would be. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that meant, but that's what it, that's what it was. You've tried making pancakes on the sidewalk? I sure will try if I move to Las Vegas. I fried an egg on the sidewalk before. Wait, you really did and it worked? Yeah, it totally worked. I mean, it was a mess, but yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my. Can you imagine? Pencil. I don't think it's ever gotten that. I mean, I'm sure it's gotten hot here, but never like that. Never like... Is it dry because it's the desert? Yeah, it's very dry. There's no humidity unless it rains, which is like five days out of the year. That's so loud. Although, I would rather it be dry than humid. I hate humidity with a serious passion. I hate walking outside feeling like I'm like sticking to everything. Well, it's a good thing we're not in Florida. <laughs> you're right. You're but right. either way, Fat Herbie Blitzstein. <laughs> Sorry. He was probably running things out of New York and not even paying attention <laughs> to the weather out there. So he probably made his money either way. But while this was going on, Binion is obviously in deep shit because of his connections to the mob. Plus, he's got a drug problem, and he's being recognized as kind of a troubling figure out this way. You know, he's running things. He might be the bag man out there for one branch of the mafia. So it became sort of obvious to the Nevada Gaming Control Board that he was using his live-in girlfriend, Sandy Murphy, 
as a bag woman. What's okay? What's a bag woman? I don't know what that means. Secure the bag, dude. What's that mean? Can Take we... care of the money. So, like the money you win, right? The money you get, however you get it. <laughs> okay. So is that like an illegal job in life? Is that like not a real like a good? The bag man. <laughs> Matt, I've never heard this term before, and she's a bag woman. Get it straight. It's a it's a woman that collects, carries, or distributes illegal payoff money. Exactly. Okay, so that see that's the explanation I was waiting for. Very concise. Thank you, Ray. That was perfect. That was well said. I just had to pull it up on a <laughs> urban dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Yes, that clears it up. I mean, if I didn't know what it meant, some people might not know what it meant. You know, I learned that term from watching the movie Patriot Games, where he literally walks up into a bar and threatens the IRA's bagman, like threatens to beat his ass in front of like 40 of his go. Of so his is this guys. someone that they would like really protect because she's dealing with all of his money, like Sandy Murphy in this case? She's like... Oh, hell yeah. She's a valuable part of the operation, you would assume. Okay. That makes sense. Got yeah, it. Got it. Definitely. Definitely. So a um, little bit about their relationship. Binion had met Murphy while she was working at Cheetah's, a topless club in Vegas. His alliances with her caused his estranged wife and daughter to pack up and move out of state for Texas. I don't blame them. Neither do I. I wouldn't either. In 1996, he was provisionally banned from any management role in the horseshoe and had to undergo regular drug testing as a result of that sentencing. So, for the duration of his suspension, he was banned from even entering his family's casino. That's, That's kind of awkward. That would be so awkward at Thanksgiving. Well, I don't think, <laughs> they probably didn't have it at the craps table, you know what I mean? <laughs> they probably held it in someone's house. Yeah, but that's so awkward. It's your family's casino, and somehow you failed to keep your nose out of the shit. Now you're banned. Yeah. <laughs> Funny story, Matt's also banned from a casino. <laughs> I am banned from a casino. It's for such a stupid reason. He's not like a felon or anything. I have. Although I wish you were, because that would make it such a better story. You know, I'm personally glad I'm not. <laughs> but it was a pretty good story. Yeah, it was. We'll have to tell that whenever a beer sometime, right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> so. For the duration of his suspension, he could not go into his family's casino, his own business that he'd been running for nearly 30 years. So does that, you think that means he was effectively fired? No, I think he could probably still, still manage be, from like outside. Yeah, I mean, he's still probably considered a part of it, but just Do you know suspended. about that, Ray? Do you think he would be able to just... Well, that's the difference between suspended and banned. I guess that's true. It was my understanding, like, he wasn't allowed... In the premises, have anything to do with managing, nothing. So he just got, he was like on some kind of like, bless you. Bless you, Matt. Hey. Bless Ooh. your soul. Um, Probation or So something. yeah, so it was like. I mean, if they had found out that he was, you know, still going in there and still doing things, they probably would have shut the whole thing down. Oh, wow. So he really had to stay far away. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, definitely, uh. Pretty harsh sentence. I mean, we don't know how long it was for, but he didn't wait to find out. So, <laughs> he struggled to avoid falling afoul of the commission's drug tests. And at one point, he actually tried to shave off every hair on his body to avoid a hair test that would reveal his history of using. So, good for you for going the extra mile there. 
<laughs> take off every piece of hair that you've ever. Just drugs stay in your hair forever, right? No, six months to, depending on. Oh, I didn't what, know. Your, what the drug is, but like six to eight months is the max. So he was just like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna be bare naked." I don't know that by personal experience, by the way. <laughs> don't don't let anyone tell you I already told you that. All right, I'll, I'll hold you to it. <laughs> I heard that somewhere one time. We already some... know you had a drug class. I did. I did have a drug class. That's true. That well, not like for you doing drugs. Like you were in the criminal justice major. Right. So you had. That might be where I heard it. Let's just go with that. <laughs> so, in May 97, so this is after his suspension, about a year into it. I was seven years old. I was. I was six. I was four. <laughs> Woo! Actually, I was like just turning four because I'm a May baby. So I, I was actually just. I was six, actually, yeah. Wow. Love it. When's your birthday? November. November. When is your, when's yours again? September. In May. So I guess I would be five and a half. I would have been like five and a half. I'm a 91 baby. I could have either just turned four, or I was turning four years shortly after. Dude, what year were you born? 1993. I know what age I am, Matt. I'm talking about like what day in May. Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Okay, so I'm the idiot there. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're the one who can do math and count. I'm, I'm not very good at that at all. So, in May of 97, his gaming license was suspended again after it was found he had violated his agreement. Which presumably means he did drugs or was on the premises, probably right? Failed, probably failed a drug test, I would assume, since he was already trying to shave himself down to be nothing. Like, Naked mole rat. He was going for the swimmer's body. Um... <laughs> So in March of 98, after the commission learned that Binion was associating with the Chicago... Oh, this was a Chicago figure. Good. Good for him. Midwestern. Uh, the Chicago outfit figure, Herbert Fat Herbie Blitzstein. Love the name. Love the name. name. Love it. Fat Herbie. Fat Herbie. That I want a nickname awesome. like that. Can we call me Fat Lisa? No. Fat Lily? No. I don't have any cool nicknames. Do you really want people to call you Fat Lisa? They probably do already anyways, Matt. Let's be real. I'm sure they don't. I don't think anybody would ever be that much of an asshole for no reason. I'll reclaim it. Nobody's just like, oh yeah. Fat Matt, what's up, buddy? I'll be like, what the fuck is your problem? (laughs) Who are you? Sorry, Sorry, every time his name comes up, I laugh. Oh, man. Well, okay. So, Fat Herbie, our boy. It was voted unanimously and permanently to revoke Binion's gaming license in Nevada. So, he was the first person to actually lose his license for violating a Nevada regulation that bans gaming licensees from associating with known criminals. So, let's give him a short golf clap for for, for that. Good for you, Ted. Um, He was never to be associated with the family business again, so that means he's obviously not allowed back inside or anything to be associated with. Man, he's screwing his family, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, he was obviously losing them money, too, probably blowing through all their money with Coke. Um, But ironically enough, this is kind of an interesting little tidbit. In the basement of the casino was his own personal silver collection housed in a floor-to-ceiling vault at the Horseshoe Club. That's interesting. So he probably had a couple hundred thousand to a couple million dollars in there saved up. It's like three hundred thousand, I believe it was. Three hundred grand. Okay, wow, that's good for it's more money than I'm gonna see for a long time. We'll see, man. <laughs> um, 
But so when Ted's ties to the casino were severed, he had to either sell the silver or relocate it to another secure spot. But after he lost his license and sold the family, or the family actually sold their Montana ranch, he became even more heavily involved in drugs, uh, especially using marijuana more frequently, doing Xanax bars, and the street drug tar heroin which is a Mexican form of heroin. They grow it from darker poppy, so that's why it looks like that. And it's yeah. That's really big here in Peru. Really? Is it? Okay, interesting. Whereas, like, out west, people are doing more China white-looking stuff, where it's like... China white? What is this? No, it's Southeast Asian. It looks more white, like, powdery stuff. That's the different types of heroin. You could literally hit me in the face with heroin, and I wouldn't know what it looked like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what it looks like, but it's probably <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's pervasive out here too. The stuff is terrible. Is it is it as bad out there, Ray? I mean, we're hearing people dying every day out here of the opioid epidemic. Yeah, it's pretty bad. We've got billboards all over the place. Yep. Like... Yep. Ah, man. Hey, if you guys know anybody out there, anybody listening, if you know anybody out there on that shit, please get them help in any way you can. We're all trying to It help. seems like that's kind of where um, Ted's family fell short. Yeah. Like, what what were they doing? Or not, not to blame them for any of this, because obviously they can't control him, but if they have this money, they own a casino, I'm assuming they're pretty well off. You would think someone would drag his ass into, like, a rehab facility so he doesn't shit their company into the floor, which it looks like is what he did. Jesus. So get help or else your your son will shit your family business right into a hole. You never know. Nope. You never know. Well, so, anyways, with, <laughs> with sorry, you're right. No, with Ted. I, I though, always get so carried away. Go with on. Ted, dealers knew that he was around. They had an instant notice of Ted when the telltale odor of marijuana smoke was in the air. Whenever he was using the eye in the sky cameras to keep an eye on the action on the floor. So he was always kind of a, even when he was there, a noticeable figure because. Clouds of smoke around him. He's puffing trees right here on the floor, just chilling with everybody, acting like it's no big deal. Personally, I'm not against smoking weed, but geez, Ted, at work. Especially when you're under such surveillance by, like, every single person ever. He was the camera guy, too. Yeah. He was the guy on the camera keeping on you. So, and actually, this is an interesting, another really interesting little story here. He was once involved in a near kidnapping. He was the target of a near attempted kidnapping that left bodies strewn across the desert. A bunch of people were actually killed in this attempt. I found that so interesting. To take him as a hostage. I think that's crazy. I mean, I'm like, who is he dealing with? The mob. Fucked up people. Yeah, true. Yeah. Fat Albert. What's his name? Fat Albert. Uh, fat, fat Herbie. Fat Herbie. <laughs> Sounds like a messed up Disney movie. It is. Yeah. Um, do you know anything about that, Ray? I couldn't find much more about that kidnapping thing, but I thought it was really interesting that that was, that was a big part of this. Um, it kind of came up in the like, Wikipedia of his life. Uh-huh. But... It wasn't really, like, touched on other than that. I didn't find either. Yeah, no. Okay, so really quick, we wanted to take a break and go over our sponsors, Audible. So for the listeners of iFry Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their services. Now, I personally have Audible because... 
like listening to podcasts, which obviously I do in my spare time here. Um, I also listen to books because I'm one of those people that I hate carrying around physical books. I also really don't like the way the pages feel, which is really strange to say. Um, but this week I've been listening to the book Brain on Fire, which is an autobiography by Susanna Callahan, in which she recounts the long road to diagnosing a rare brain disease after she wakes up, no memory in a hospital, and has no idea what happened that previous month. People would tell her after, you know, she came to and, you know, was able to be cognizant again that that she had violent episodes and delusions. This is a very, very, very interesting read, Matt. I'm telling you, you have to listen to it on yeah, I Audible. I definitely want to pick this one up. That sounds like really intriguing. Yeah. And to download your free audiobook today, that or one of the 300 or the 180,000 other books to choose from, um, you can download your free audiobook today and the 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash iforipod. Again, that is www.audibletrial.com backslash iforipod for your free audiobook and 30-day free trial. I'm telling you, check it out, especially this book because this book is really, it gave me kind of anxiety to be honest, but it's so, so good and so interesting and it probably has helped a lot of people for this rain, this rare brain disease that she was ended up diagnosed with because it took so long for them to get the diagnoses. So check it out. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash iFryPod. All right. So, Ray, do you want to talk a little bit about the death of Ted? Yeah, so I bet people were thinking that maybe this case was going towards Ted and he um, getting charged with everything that he was doing, but it actually kind of takes a deep turn and has a lot of twists in it. So Ted was found dead on a small mattress on the floor of his Las Vegas estate home on September 17th, 1998. My seventh birthday, ironically enough. Wait, that's your actual birthday? It is. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Man. Weird enough. Damn, our birthdays always come up in these episodes, Matt. Shout out, Ted. That was your seventh birthday? Yeah. Yeah. Damn. That sucks for Ted. Great for you, Matt, though. Happy birthday, bro. I was happy that day. Sorry, Ted. (laughs) God. (laughs) All right. So, um, empty pill bottles were found next to his body, and an autopsy and toxicology report revealed that he died of a lethal dosage combination of prescription Xanax and heroin with traces of value. So he was like lit up like a balloon uh, well, not a balloon. Balloons can't light up. Fourth like of a, July. Yeah, like the fourth like honestly, like can you imagine? Even one of those could knock you on your ass. Three of those. Whew. Whew. Yeah. So let's see. The day before he was found dead he himself had purchased 12 pieces of tar heroin from a street drug dealer and had earlier gotten his prescription from his next-door neighbor, a doctor, for Xanax. And evidence introduced at trial showed that Binion personally took the prescription to be filled at a local pharmacy. And that's definitely important to note that he himself was the one who filled it because that plays a huge part, like Ray said, in the twists and turns that come in this trial following his death. Um, but that is huge. He he himself was noted to be at the pharmacy to get the prescription filled. Important to know. Yeah, very important. 
So his death was initially treated as a probable suicide. Um, his live-in girlfriend, Sandy Murphy, said that Binion had been suicidal ever since losing his gaming license just a few months earlier. And it looks like he had his sister had some similar issues. She was afflicted with same kinds of drug problems as Ted, and she had committed suicide in 1977, which had also helped contribute to the perception that Ted could have been vulnerable to suicide as well. Yeah, so those tendencies, it seems, this is what they tried to say at least, that um, kind of ran in his family. I'm guessing their their angle is kind of the, the mental illness angle where they think he was depressed or may had you know, some depressive issue along with the drug issues that he had and that cocktail of things led to him committing a suicide is what they believed. At least that's what it seems from my research. Um, I mean, family history of mental illness is obviously a major factor in there, but he was obviously a consistent drug user at this point. Clearly he was out of control too. a lot of stress and he was out of control. I mean, they said he was on like every single drug known to man and then when he was found deceased, um, he had three different drugs in his system. Right. So that, that is, it just gets even more wild from here. Ray said it best. This takes the most twists and turns. So right now, um, people pretty much chalked it up to suicide. He was upset that he lost his gaming license and that he was in deep shit with the gaming commission. He was spiraling out of control seemingly with drugs and, I'm assuming, alcohol problems. His family, I'm sure, didn't want to talk to him because he screwed them out of a lot of um, business deals as well. Um, but it was noted that there was kind of a dismissal of any talk of suicide from his other family members. Um, they said that they never heard him talk about any suicide ideation, um, and that hurt their, his family's conversations with him didn't sound, he didn't sound so, like, despondent. He didn't sound like he was at an end all. Um, especially because, like I said, and like we've said a ton of times, he was so lit on all of these drugs that like how could you be that depressed i mean a lot of these are uppers a lot of them are downers and then mixed together you're just all over the place with your emotions so it's interesting to note ray and matt the initial investigation was prompted in part by statements that ted allegedly made shortly before his death so basically originally they ruled this as a suicide and then there was some prompting at the um behest of his family members to look into it because they were saying you know I've never known Ted to talk about suicide it's never been something that he's talked about with us before that we've even seen hints of so we need someone needs to look into this This is ridiculous he wouldn't just and and he's been a drug user for so long that yeah overdoses can be common but you know they seem he seems to know what he needs to take to get that high especially with all the different drugs so his attorney told police that the night before Ted died, um, that Ted called his attorney and he demanded that Sandy Murphy be completely cut out of his will. Now, we've mentioned her name before. She was the um, topless dancer that Ted had met and was his bag woman, which we learned earlier is the person who deals with all of his money um, from the gambling and from business ventures and presumably mob stuff as well, I think. Um but he, interestingly enough, he called his attorney and said, get her out of my will. I don't want any of my assets to go to her when I pass away. Get her out of my will. 
Now, others... Yeah, that's a little suspicious, to say the least. Right? I mean, yeah, what, whatever drove that. Yeah, and that's what kicked the investigation off, because people are saying he's not suicidal, and then the day before, he called his attorney. Attorney, what did I just say? I have no idea. Attorney, and said, get this woman out of my will. And you'd think it's his living girlfriend, so... You know, that's someone that you would want in your will, presumably, if it was someone you were serious with. So that's just stuff to note there. Now, um, others did say that Ted was convinced that someone was out to kill him and stated that if anything ever happened to him, they needed to dig up the silver coins that we had aforementioned were buried underneath or in, like, the basement of the casino um, and dig those coins up that he had buried. So Las Vegas homicide detectives suspected that the scene had been staged as his body didn't show the typical signs of a drug overdose. So there's so many different pieces of this that are like, wait a minute. It's kind of your typical what the hell happened here. Like they walked in and they were like, wait a minute. Like at first, you know, if you're jumping to conclusions, easiest explanation would be suicide, right? But with the prompting, it seems like they start taking a second look at everything and nothing seemed to add up. So he didn't show the typical signs of a drug overdose and his stomach contained heroin and the police thought that neither an addict nor a suicide would take heroin in that matter. Which I'm guessing, I don't know if you guys know what that means, but does that mean they think he ate it? Do you eat heroin? I'm not sure. Because it was in his stomach. stomach. Yeah, it's pretty weird. And police were like, that's not how you kill yourself, nor is it how you take the drug. He was smoking it, allegedly, but I don't think that's how it goes down. Yeah, that's in your bed. You don't smoke things and they end up in your stomach. No, I'm I'm being facetious. That's definitely not not how it works. (laughs) What do they do? Shove it in his mouth. Okay, so. Whoops. So, despite the, um, hold on, I'm losing my mind. Okay, despite the urgings of Becky and Jack Binion, which are his brother and sister respectively, they refused to open a full-scale homicide investigation, which is so weird to me. Um, I don't get that. Do you guys have any opinions on that? Why his family didn't want to open a full-scale homicide investigation? Do you think it's more because... They didn't want people digging into their lives, maybe? No, I think that they wanted them to, but um, investigators in Las Vegas weren't wanting to open up. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, I read that wrong. Okay, you're right. They probably thought he was an overdose death. Why are we worried about why are we wasting department resources? And he was a problem anyway. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like they got rid of, you know, the biggest pain in their ass that they've had. I didn't think about it that way. I also read it wrong in my brain. So <laughs> thank you for clearing that up. Oh, you um, So six months after Ted was found deceased, Chief Medical Examiner Larry Sims ruled Binion had died of a heroin and Xanax overdose. Now, after those six months, however, the Clark County Coroner's Office reclassified Ted's death as a homicide on May 5th, 1999. May is a time where everything comes to light, I swear, in every single one of these cases. Honestly. Springtime makes police really kick into gear. Good. <laughs> Good. 
Um, so there were no specifics, but law enforcement sources did cite evidence that the death scene had been staged, which we talked about a little bit earlier, as well as witness statements implicating Murphy and Tavish. So Sandy's being looked at because, first of all, that incriminating statement by his attorney saying that the day before he passed away, he was like, get her out of my will, which is huge. I mean, that's a that's a big thing. You don't especially if it happens the day before you mysteriously die of a suicide like that. What are the odds? It was said that they were arguing, and that's why he wanted her out of the well, because um, the um, Rick Tavish was her like lover, right? Boyfriend, and she was also seeing Ted, so he was a constant issue in their relationship. Oh, it's just so creepy. Yeah, so Tavish was um, Sandy's boyfriend at the time. So I guess, yeah, they were. I guess she, was she? Would that be considered cheating on him? Like. I think. I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. She was a topless dancer. Do you think she had one consistent relationship with either of these I don't guys think that necessarily means that she's, like, polyamorous. That's not necessarily what I was implying. I was saying, like, that's how she met him. That's how she met this other guy. Like, do you think that she was keeping tabs on just one guy? I guess not. That's I guess, what I mean. yeah, I guess the answer not. in this scenario I'm is saying, no. I'm saying just her, not yet. Yeah, not we're not making generalizations she, about she's meeting guys all the time is what I'm saying. Like that's yeah. the point I'm making is she met two guys this way. I'm sure she was probably dating, quote unquote. Peanut. Basically they were they were implicated pretty early on in the investigation when they did decide to turn this into an investigation. Detectives suspected her for some time that Murphy and Tabish had been romantically involved and had learned that Binion suspected Murphy was cheating on him. In June 1999, Sandy Murphy and Rick Tabish were arrested for Binion's murder as well as for the conspiracy, robbery, grand larceny, and burglary. Like I said, in June 1999, Sandy Murphy and Rick Tabish were arrested for Binion's murder as well as for conspiracy, robbery, grand larceny, and burglary. Now, I may be really ignorant, but what is grand larceny? I see that all the time, and I never knew what that actually meant. Theft of a majorly expensive item. So what What in this case would that be? His, probably his money, his inheritance. Ah, got it, got it, got it. Whatever was left of that, or whatever his valuables were that were... There, yeah. Okay, so the prosecution contended that Murphy and Tabish had conspired to kill Binion and steal his wealth, drugging Binion into unconsciousness, and then burking him which is a form of manual suffocation. And we talked about this before we started recording. Um, burking is something I had never heard of before. I don't know if you had, Matt or Ray. I only heard it until I was reading about the case. Yeah, I'm not Isn't that like, you would think it would be used more based on what it is. So basically, to inform people who don't know what a burking means. Burking um, is a verb, yes. It's a name. Verb. Yeah, it's it's a term, and it comes from the method William Burke and William Hare used to kill their victims during the Westport murders, which I'm sure we'll look into covering at some point. Um, but basically what they did is they would kill usually intoxicated victims by sitting on their chests and suffocating them by putting a hand over the nose and mouth while the other hand to push the victim's jaw up. Now, the suffocation method in this theory, um, which was presented at the trial by forensic pathologist Michael Baden, who did testify for the prosecution, 
They theorized this was done because the overdose was taking too long and the pair feared discovery. So I still don't understand why this would be the method they chose because it sounds like they, I mean, to me, it sounds like they had something to do with the fatal overdose as well. Um, but I don't, I mean, I don't know. They have found, they found heroin in his stomach. Right. So like, do they mean, shove heroin in his mouth? It was probably more of a lethal concoction of things that killed him is I think what they're implying. But at the same time, you know. Yeah. So each of them were charged with murder and burglary connected to the removal of the fortune from the vault on the desert floor in Parump. So, murder and burglary charges were brought on by the prosecution because it was connected to the removal of his fortune from the vault. Now, let's get into the trial of this wild case. So, at this point, just to recap, um, Ted was found, passed away, originally was believed to be a fatal overdose of a cocktail of drugs in his system. However, after months of prodding from his family and also his attorney, um, they found reason to believe that this was actually a homicide case. Then they put together that um, his living girlfriend, Sandy, and her boyfriend, Rick, were at the head of this case. I just want to point out, we're going to cover another case similar to this, the death, at least similar to this, of the victim of a much more high-profile victim that I personally can't wait for because I'm talking about Kurt Cobain. Oh, yeah, like in the same... But I'm saying, like, whether these deaths, why they're so intriguing is because, you know, like, John Belushi, same thing, like, drug at Marilyn Monroe, same thing, like, these people were... You think Marilyn Monroe was killed? Absolutely. Oh, this is gonna be fun. Yeah. (laughs) Drug addicts who died of drug overdoses but under suspicious circumstances. Yeah, that's a good... That's a good... We should have, like, a theme... Well, that is a theme. That's a good idea. saying, man. We could go for days about Kurt Cobain. But yeah, this is this is one of those things, and it's it's kind of sad. Well, it's really sad, but it's sad for, you know, targets who do struggle with substance abuse because it does make it that much more difficult because, you know, I always think about the, this is so stupid to quote, but Dr. Phil, I watch Dr. Phil a lot, not because I necessarily love Dr. Phil, but because I love the cases he covers, because he does dig into like this kind of thing. And he always says the but for a theory, like but for blank, blank, blank happening, would this happen? Um, So like, but, you know, but for his drug addiction, would he have had drugs? Like, would they have killed him? Because like, would they have a way to, would they have suffocated him anyways? So I think that's kind of what the prosecution has to prove is, you know, he was a drug addict already. How do we know he wouldn't have taken this lethal dose anyways? Right. So the trial did go on. Obviously, like Ray said, it attracted national media attention. Ray, how old did you say you were when this was going on? Um, with the initial... Do you, like, remember the hullabaloo around this? I do, like, remember seeing, like, news stories that they would do, like, every night and outside of the courthouse and all of that. Oof. Yeah, so it did. It really did attract attention. Obviously, these are, I would guess, 
I mean, I would not guess. I would say they were public figures, really. Um, seems like everybody. Was that casino, like, super, super well-known? The Horseshoe still is, man. Oh, wow. It's a chain. Yeah, yeah it's a chain. Still there. Yeah. That's so crazy. And it's not owned by his family anymore? Or is it? I couldn't tell you who owns it anymore, but I wouldn't imagine it is, honestly. Most of them are owned by foreign corporations now. Well, hot damn. All right. So, yeah, so this was a pretty... Well followed travel up uh, travel <laughs> trying to myself. I need sleep. It's, it's, it's still open and it's uh, now called Binion's Gambling Hall. Oh wow, so it still like has their name. Okay. There we go. Good to know. Thank we should you, all take a trip. We're gonna come visit you, Ray, and we're all gonna go there. <laughs> Just see if they have any We need correlation. Yeah. Yes, yes. Right? We wanna corroborate this for ourselves. Yes, we're right? We're gonna be the detectives. So, it was interesting to note, after two months of trial, which is a pretty extensive trial because it seems like they did have a lot to prove in this case, um, a lot of evidence was entered, Murphy and Tabish were found guilty after nearly 68 hours of deliberation. 68 hours. Some people deliberate for three. And now the conclusion. 68 hours, yeah, Matt. This is almost three whole days. That is so wild. Have you guys ever been on a jury? No, I want to. Me Same. too. I really do. I've never Same. been on one. The only time I was ever called for jury duty so far in my lifetime was when I had surgery, so I had to skip out. Mm. Um, yeah, but I, I wonder what that's like, because especially in these especially high-profile cases, you would think they're sequestered, right? Because they can't have a, oh, the yeah. outside. Um, they definitely are. Definitely 68 are. hours. What do they? Does that mean they're like, for like a whole entire day, they sit in a room and deliberate? Is that how that works? Yeah. I mean, well, they give them 12 hours. There's like 12-hour spells. So, yeah, if it took 68 hours, it's probably like six days. Woo, Lord. All right. Well, they took their time really processing this case, what they think happened. Like I said, we both we had both the idea that it was suicide by a death by suicide or that he was murdered. And then you have to weigh, like, all of the the circumstances surrounding each. Now, at the end of this... At the end of the 68 hours of deliberation, Tabish was sentenced to 25 years to life, while Murphy received 22 years to life, which we'll talk about here in a second. Now, like we said in the beginning of this, it's just twists and turns keep happening. So later that year, David Roger, who prosecuted the case, was elected Clark County District Attorney, and David Wall, who second chaired the prosecution, was elected District Judge. So I'm guessing this probably played a part in that a little bit to show that they were good at prosecuting cases and um, well, they making have, points. Well, they have their own, you know, they have to reach a certain quota of closed and effective cases. I mean, if they're not... There's a quota? Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't know that. What do you mean? If you don't, yeah, you don't convict a certain number of criminals, then they'll fire you and bring somebody that's a better trial attorney. Or, you know, don't plead out too many cases to reduce sentences for people. You have to be a certain. They made a certain statute. Wow. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess it's different it makes every sense, state. but... It's different in states. We're going to have to get my uncle on the show. Or my cousin. Um, yeah, my first cousin, she's a DA. And then my, my, um, my uncle is a defense attorney. But, yeah, so they were both elected to different positions within the district. And on July... In July 2003, the Nevada Supreme Court overturned the murder convictions, ruling that Clark County District 
Court Judge Joseph Bonaventure erred in deliberation instructions to the jury. The justices found that Tabish should have received a separate trial for the assault and blackmail of another businessman. While the prosecution was never able to prove a link between this crime and Binion's murder, the justices said testimony regarding the separate assault uh, pre, pre, judges, prejudice, prejudice, <laughs> prejudice the jury against Tabish. So basically, it seems like she had another charge kind of lingering in the air. She wasn't ever brought to for it, but it seems like that gave people the predisposed notion that she could have committed this crime as well. Um, the justices also ruled that the jurors. The justices also ruled that the jurors should have been told to consider statements by Binion's estate attorney as statements of the attorney's mind, not fact. So I guess they entered what the attorney had said as a fact-based statement rather than something of his own opinions. And that's something that we're going to talk about here in a second when we get to eye for an eye. But the defendants were granted a new trial, which did begin on October 11, 2004. So this is you know, creeping up into recent memory now. I mean, it's, you know, 1998 to 2004. In Judge Bonaventure's courtroom, um, they were both tried, and they were tried uh, separately, I believe. I don't really know if it said, but I think it did. Um, Murphy, who was represented by Michael Cristalli, and Tabish, who was represented by famed civil rights lawyer, lawyer J. Tony Serra, and local Las Vegas attorney Joseph Caramango, were each acquitted of murder, but were convicted on lesser charges of burglary, which carries a sentence of 12 to 60 months, and grand larceny, which also carries a, um, a sentence of 12 to 60 months, connected with the Binion case. Now, Tabish also was convicted of use of a deadly, deadly weapon, which gave her 18 to 60 months of a, you know, a sentence um, time frame, and Murphy was sentenced to time served and did not end up returning to prison. So Tavish was originally sentenced to serve consecutive terms and was denied parole in 2001, 2004, and 2005. But on January 26th, which is my mom's birthday, shout out, <laughs> 2009. My brother's birthday. Really? Happy birthday. Yeah. Well, that was so recent, too. Yeah, after my brother's birthday, too, the 25th. Ew, this is weird. Why are there so many, like, birthday connections in this case? This is odd. Huh. Now we're just waiting for May 11th, which is kind of close. Um, so, like I said, on January 26, 2009, shout out to all the birthdays, <laughs> he was brought into Las Vegas where the Nevada Parole Board granted him parole to consecutive, which meant that the three, the three convictions were to run concurrently. Tabish received another parole hearing in Las Vegas on January 13, 2010, and the Nevada Board of Parole Commissioners announced January 26, 2010, that Tabish, who was 44, would be granted parole. His younger brother described the news as pretty wonderful. Um, and Tabish was released on May 18, 2010. His parole started on April 2, 2010, but negotiating the terms of his release delayed his actual exit from prison. And it was interesting to note throughout um, all of this, throughout all the years that this trial lasted, all of the appeals, all of the parole hearings, Binion's antique coin and currency collection, which, like we said at the top of the show, is valued at $300,000, 
has never been recovered. So I'm curious as to who dug that up. And my my money's on Bag Woman. That's that's where my money's at on that one. I'm I'm with you there. I'd put my money on her too. So let's discuss, you guys. So this one was a doozy. Um, so the first thing that they were sentenced um, for were guilty of um, of murder and were sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. So let's start with that sentence. What do you guys think about that for, for the evidence that we have? Um, he was found with a bunch of drugs in his system, known drug user. However, it seemed like it wasn't actually a drug overdose, and they believed it was a suffocation type of situation. What do you guys think? 25 years to life, do you think that was a fair sentence? Um, I mean, as for murder, I feel like that's pretty fair. Yeah, right? Well, let me start with this. Do you guys think that it was murder, or do you think it was suicide? I think it was definitely murder. I believe it was murder, too. I agree. There's more evidence to that effect. I mean, and the only reason they were acquitted of murder was because the marks on his chest were, there was, like, button marks that they thought were from jeans, like, being sat on his chest when they were burning him. Definitely. I read that same thing. Two people confirmed that those types of marks were made from somebody who was pressing in on the buttons he was wearing, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And they confirmed that those marks couldn't have been um, inflicted on him, that they were something else. They weren't actual marks from being burnt, but they were marks from something else. <clears throat> and that's how they got acquitted of the murder. Which is insane to me. It's so, you know, it's interesting with our justice system, which is really why I started this podcast in the first place, because it feels like there's so many cases where it's like, you scream from your chair, like, what? How did that happen? What the hell happened here? They clearly murdered him. Like, anyone could see that. But then these little bits of evidence can completely throw the trial. You know, that's why this is so interesting to me, especially this case. Um, so if if we did go by our beliefs, uh, 25 years to life is a, uh, a pretty decent sentence, I'd say. But it is interesting that... Tabish was sentenced to 25 years to life, while Murphy received 22 years to life originally. Um, I'm not sure what the difference of three years really makes when it's a sentence blank to life. I guess he would have been up for parole three years earlier than her. But do you guys really think that makes much of a difference? I mean, I guess if they really believed they were going to get out in that amount of time, it would make, I guess, a bit of a difference. But, like, why is it? Why is it different? Is it, like, what... That doesn't even sound different to me. Do you guys know what that would be? Um, Is it because she, like, had more of a connection to the victim than he did? Possibly. I mean, he, she it was said that she was the living girlfriend, that, you know, she lived there. She had ties with the business. Yeah. She, like, knew more about it. Yeah, and it seems like without her, like, but for her, Rick wouldn't have known him or would have had a reason to attack him. That's more than likely where that came from. But it's like three years. What the hell difference does that make if you're blank to life? But, I mean, I guess none of that matters because all of it was overturned. So let's talk about their current situation. Um, So it looks like – see, that's what I don't understand. Why did he – so his sentence, Rick Tavish's sentence, was, yeah, it was 25 years to life, and Sandy received 22 years to life. 
So I don't get that because I guess I got it backwards in my brain. I mixed up who they were. Because um, you would think she would get the more serious case. Or do you think they believe that he was the one who actually sat on his chest and choked him if that was what happened? Yeah, that's why I think. I think she received less because... She didn't physically commit the crime. Right, exactly. I think he's the one that probably physically smothered it, if, if that's worth assuming happened, which I think it did. Yeah. So, yeah, she never, she never returned to prison, so she got off, basically. I mean, is she, does anyone know if she's still in Vegas? Do you know if she's still around? Um, last I read, she's in Florida somewhere, like, living up to life, you know? Isn't that just fucking insane? Unreal. Like, she dated a man who, with that, probably with the $300,000 in coins. I was going to say, probably had something to do with the money there, yeah, like. (laughs) I mean, I would have moved my ass real quick out of the place oh, that definitely. I was convicted of. Because I feel like, I mean, she's probably severely hated. I'm sure. Within definitely. the community. Yeah. Um, and then Tavish was sentenced to cons- do the consecutive terms, denied parole three different times, and was finally paroled in April 2010. Um, which is kind of... It's just like, how was anybody out from jail? I guess they were never technically convicted of murder or even manslaughter. Um, they were convicted of robbery and grand larceny. Um, and Tabish was convicted of use of a deadly weapon, which is, I think that makes sense why he also um, had more time. But I don't understand the deadly weapon charge. Does anyone know where that comes from? Or is that like your hands in this case? Uh, Potentially the lethal dose of Xanax they gave him, but I don't know. That's not a weapon. I don't know. Yeah, that's right. Because, I mean, it makes sense because the the use of a deadly weapon from 18 to 60 months could... Maybe maybe stuffing the heroin down his throat? I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea. All right. So, basically, both of them are currently out of prison. Um, I do believe that... Tabish is still on parole. I'm not 100% sure that. I'm not really sure how that works. It didn't really say um, in any of my research. And as you heard from Ray, it sounds like I'm bleeding. Ah, what happened to me? (laughs) I'm bleeding. Sorry, my leg's bleeding. Ow, it hurts. What the fuck? Um, But it sounds like both of them, frankly, allegedly got away with murder. So eye for an eye, what do we think? (laughs) <laughs> I think the original sentence seemed fitting. Now I think that they got off easy off of that original sentence, but yeah, a lot of technicalities here, a lot of twists and turns and technicalities here. I so mean, she technically served what? What do we say? Four years, we believe, um, based on when the trial started, when they were arrested, and then when it was overturned. Do you think if she? didn't physically put her hands on him, but did have a part in the death that four years is sufficient. Because it's kind of like the Michelle Carter case where it's like you were physically present without you, he may not be dead. However, you are a part of this. You know what I mean? Isn't I mean, that's a stretch to compare I'm, to that. I'm not a person who's ever about conspiracy murder being less of a charge. If you had anything to do with someone's death as a conspiracy, you are part of the crime and you should be therefore held equally responsible. 
Ray, what do you think? Yeah, I'm on board with Matt. I think the same thing. I mean, in the end of everything, like, someone is still dead. Right? Yeah. I mean, so, obviously someone thought that it was murder. It was changed from suicide to homicide. So what are they saying now, that it really was suicide? That they had nothing to do with it? Right, that's the confusing part to me with this case particularly because it's like at first they were sure that it was suicide, didn't even want to convict, didn't even want to go there. Then they investigated into it, said we do have a case to make here for homicide. Then they get sentenced for homicide and then all of a sudden they go up for, um, they, they challenge it. And then they win. It's just like, make up your mind. What happened here? What do you think happened here? And why aren't we holding someone accountable for it? Like, I don't, that's what I don't get. And like, like I said before, it seems to me, I mean, obviously I don't know their personal dealings, but it seems like without Murphy, Rick wouldn't have known Ted. You, or, you know what I mean? And it's like, never heard of him, probably. I mean, I'm assuming that Murphy's the one that put him onto the idea, you know? Yeah, it's just, but like, I wonder, like, I mean, I guess her making a living isn't going to be really affected, because I was going to say, if that's still on your record, even though you were acquitted of it, would that still, does that still carry on your record if you're acquitted of a crime? I mean, obviously, everybody knows her name, because clearly she was involved in this high-profile case. Um. Like, do you think that, I mean, she's a dancer, so I don't think it's really going to affect her business life. And I'm curious why no one did more to find this coin collection. You know what I mean? Like, somebody knows that. what that is. Yeah, I'd want that money. And I, my vote goes with Sandy. Um, but this yeah. one's a crazy one because it is, it's one of those cases where it's like, okay, the first time it seems you guys got it wrong when thinking it was death by suicide, then we get into the place where we can make an argument for murder. They get convicted. Then all of a sudden, that gets overturned, and now it's back to square one with maybe it was a suicide, but they tried to rob them, so let's peg them for the robbery. And then, you know what I mean? It's just like one of those, it's just, they played the game and they won, man. It's That's what I feel like. They won. I mean, Rick got the shittier end of the stick, which is, I mean, I would assume if I was to allege that anyone burked him, that it would be Rick. Um, I don't. I don't know how she would have done it if that was, you know, on her. So it's kind of scary to think that both of these people are currently out of jail living life and there is a man dead who both of them have a serious connection to. One of them at least does and the other one has a connection through her. It's pretty obvious. I wonder if they're allowed to speak to each other because you know how sometimes sentencing people will be like you have to like stay away from X, Y, and Z. Do you wonder that? Anyone? Anyone else wonder that? Are they still friends? They still talk if they're friends. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do I think they if communicate? They, if they split the coin collection. Yeah, they're sending each other monthly updates. Like, how do you spend your half? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, it's this one's crazy because it does. But what if, I don't know. I don't understand. I thought, like, why doesn't double jeopardy apply in this case like you can't once you find a conviction you overturn it but for whatever reason if you find someone not guilty they can never be tried again I don't understand so like people who are wrongly convicted can be freed but people who are wrongly released can never be recharged typically that's a matter of 
being up to the judge. If the judge says you can represent with new evidence, then you can do that. So that doesn't count as double jeopardy? It wouldn't, if that's what the judge says, but I don't know in this case if that would be what they said or if that's applicable even or not. I'd be interested to hear their (laughs) take on this. Let's hunt them down, Matt. All right. Ray, let's get them on the show. <laughs> God. I don't know about all that. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. I talk to Matt about this often. I'm like, maybe we should write someone in jail and get their take. And Matt's like, I don't know if we want to open any of those doors. <laughs> like, you really want to know what they think. <laughs> like, nobody really cares. And they write back, like, hello, Lisa. I'm like, uh. Yeah, I would throw up. Um, but yeah, so that's this case. I'm curious to know what all of you guys think. It's one of those cases that really did go back and forth the entire time, and it doesn't seem like really anyone could make up their mind of what happened, how it happened, why it happened, and how we should bring those to justice involved. So it is one of those curious cases, and it was picked by Ray, and I'm so happy you picked this case because it is one of those, was did the punishment fit the crime? And it's like, yes, no, yes, no, maybe. I don't know because it's like... Well, we don't even know if they killed him first. Right? Well, we don't know for sure. We think It's alleged. We yeah, don't I mean, want to get sued. There's nothing obvious here to say, like, uh, they did it. But, yeah. You know, but... To say, to say and what did you guys say about the buttons? That there were button marks on Ted's body yes. that indicated yeah. that somebody had leaned on his chest with enough force to leave a mark there. But then they said that those marks weren't actually marks from buttons. They were, you know, just like a rash or something. Oh. Is that really what spun this whole freaking case? Yeah, it was the mark on his chest. That's what I'm saying. Like, these are the kind of cases that make you sit back. Like, what what the hell happened here? That's really, that's the theme of this podcast. It's fitting. Like, was an eye for an eye met? I mean, I think originally we all agree we, we do believe these people are responsible for committing these crimes. Um, their first sentence would make sense if if they were committed um, for murder. Unfortunately, they were only brought up on robbery charges. It is interesting that they made um, Rick serve out his sentence, whereas... Uh, Sandy got to kind of bounce from jail instantly. She must have been the luckiest woman alive past her dealings with people that have $300,000 of coins stashed away and you're their bad woman. She's probably paying an attorney very well to hide all that somewhere. It's just pretty wild. So that's this case. Like I said, I really would like to know what everyone thinks about it because it's one of those cases that just kind of takes you on a roller coaster ride and you never really get off it's one of those not even a roller coaster it's one of those like spinny rides where you just like can't find the end <laughs> don't throw up man right but like now that they so back to the double conviction really quickly um or the double jeopardy okay. so now that they've been found not guilty of murder they can never be like like someone couldn't randomly like dig up more facts and retake them to trial no double jeopardy so now it's like they're out Unless they fuck up something else. Once double jeopardy applies, you cannot refile the same case. Oh, that's so frustrating, but I guess it makes sense. For the robbery part of the charge, which is what they ended up being convicted for, do you think their sentences were fair? We didn't go over that part. I mean, I think they should have been convicted of murder, so... But they weren't. So let's talk about what they were convicted of. Yeah, I think it was fair. I mean, four four years. A lot of money. Yeah. 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 Definitely. So that that is a fair sentence we think for robbery of a ton of money. Yes. Do you believe, do you agree, Ray? Yeah. 
Yeah. So I guess all in all, the punishment really doesn't fit the crime if allegedly they did do it, which we seem to all agree here that they did do it. <laughs> if you don't think they did it, let us know why. Yeah, let us know. And then if they didn't do it and they were just guilty of the robbery and all of that nonsense, I guess we do believe the punishment fit the crime. It seems like it would be a little bit excessive to give them life in prison for a robbery. Um, however, it does seem like they allegedly committed a murder. But yeah, a real quick while we wrap up this episode here, did anyone else watch the OJ thing? No, but I have to still. Ray, did you watch it? Not yet. Oh, Lord, it's infuriating. It's so infuriating. And it's so ironic that they chose to release it now that he's out of jail. Ugh. How old is OJ now? Like 70? 60? Late 60s. Goodness gracious. But, yeah, let us know what you guys thought about that, if anyone listened to that as well. Um, we so very much thank Ray for being – I don't know why I said so very much. That doesn't even make sense. We are so happy to have Ray on the show. Yes, um, thank, thank you, you so guys. much. You, you did a great job, too, honestly. Everything. Yeah. This is a great case. This is a great case because awesome. I'm still kind of trying to figure out whether or not I think the punishment fit the crime. That's the case again. And we want to thank Ray so much for being a part of this. We are so happy you're here. This is super exciting. I said that like 35 times because you're literally the first person that we've had on this case. That's like an outsider, not that we've personally talked to before, um, you know, like a friend of ours or something. And so we're so happy to have you on the show, part of the iFried fam. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm so excited. And I'm so excited, you know, for your uh, future endeavors as well when, when that all gets sorted out. Like I said, we'll definitely yeah. be plugging you everywhere we possibly can. So guys, keep, keep an eye out for yes. Yes. yes, yes, tell us a little bit about it. So I'm starting a podcast with a friend of mine. Um, it's called Anxious Antics, and we're going to tell stories of the struggles and the triumphs of millennials with mental illnesses. I just love that. It's going to be love so that. amazing, and it's going to be so eye-opening, I think, because there's so many people like, you know, not comfortable to stigmatize, not comfortable to speak about, you know, their mental illnesses, not feeling like they have anyone relate to. Um, I, I know that for a fact that, you know, mental illness does feel like such a very lonely and dark place a lot of the time. Um, and I'm so excited for your podcast. I cannot wait to listen um, and to, you know, spread that word about that as well. It's going to be so great. I can't just, let's, I want it up tomorrow. I'm just kidding. And I want it now. <laughs> yeah. I want it all. That should be your intro song. Um, <laughs> but, yes, thank you so much. So we're an iFry podcast. If you liked us, please go rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your fam. Um, like I said in the, the intro earlier, um, all the links and everything – for um, our Patreon page, our Threadless page will all be in the show notes. And we thank you for being with us tonight. And we hope you have a good one. Sayonara. Oh. <laughs> Bye. And on this.
20th anniversary. His accused murderers, Sandy Murphy and Rick Tabish, are gearing up for a new murder trial. That trial is set to begin in less than a month. Eyewitness News reporter Cindy Caesar has followed the case through the years, and she joins us now with the story. Boy, less than a month. I know, less than a month. And I wasn't actually here for the first murder trial, but I've been watching this case closely since the convictions were overturned. And it's well known that the first murder trial gained interest around the world, and the courthouse and attorneys are preparing for the same frenzy the second time around. This was a tremendous soap opera. Unfortunately, someone had to die to make it a... Uh uh, such a soap opera. I just heard about it. I was flying to Montana. It was six years ago today that the soap opera began. Casino mogul Ted Binion was found dead at his home. The Clark County Coroner's Office called it a heroin overdose. But a Binion family investigation turned over suspicious evidence to the district attorney's office. And that led to the arrest of Binion's girlfriend, former stripper Sandy Murphy, and her lover, Rick Tabish. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.